Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Hustler, starring Paul Newman, Piper Laurie, George C. Scott, and Jackie Gleason. Based on the book by Walter Tevis and directed by Robert Rawson. Screenplay by Sidney Carroll and Robert Rawson. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. It's time to wrap up 2022. And we'll be a little self-indulgent here at, at, at the end of the year. It's been a, it's been a good year for us. Um, better film year than you know, now that we have a lot of releases coming out in the theaters, right? Yes. We were just talking about some of those uh, here a second ago. But yeah, let's cap off 2022 with just some... All, all-time favorites. I, I know I had teased this as a sports cast, but we're not going to have enough time to do a whole full-blown sports cast. We'll do that in the future because that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, let's just spend a little time talking about some films we like with, that bring us some Yuletide cheer. Mm-hmm. And, Matt, you picked a real cheerful film this week. <laughs> just- yeah, this will leave you with a big, big grin on your face because I guess he gets what he set out to do at the end. Yeah. Pretty expensive get, but he gets there. <laughs> what are we watching this week? We're watching The Hustler. And... um. I was, I was, when you were talking a few minutes ago with me about the first viewing of this, I was trying to remember when I saw this film for the first time. You know, I can't even remember. I, I thought it might have been with Gus. He didn't introduce mm-hmm. me to this. It might have been a buddy that I used to work with. Um, and I know it's probably pretty likely that it was him because we were having a conversation around the color of money about this when he said, mm-hmm. did you know there's a prequel to that? And of course I had heard of The Hustler. Mm-hmm but I'd never seen it and he turned me on to it. And uh, yeah, this is, I'm just let the cat out of the bag. This is top 10 all time for me. Isn't that pretty cool? Like if you're talking with someone and you're like talking about a film and then they're like, have you seen this one? It's just like maybe the one it's based on or a remake or it came yeah. before. Um, I got to do that with one of my friends recently where he came over and he pulled the wages of fear uh, off my shelf. And I was like, he's like, this is a great film. And I was like, have you seen sorcerer <laughs> mm. do you guys do it no we didn't watch it but um he added it to his little watch list and he's like i gotta check this one out so he's he's in for a good one there so we were talking off mike about uh the santa movie you did see the, the holiday film yeah violent night you said not a bad film yeah i mean it was very pleasantly surprised and if you like that kind of intense liam neeson action vehicle with like a fantastical santa claus premise it's gonna hit a lot of boxes yeah yeah we tried to watch the Santa Claus last night, the first one. With Tim Allen? Yeah. Um, I thought my daughter would like it. We made it about 45 minutes, and she just... Do went, you like it? No. <laughs> it has a, it's been a long time, and yeah. I forgot a lot of it. Yeah. And it's aged really poorly. <laughs> that, one's, that one's usually one in my annual watch list. I Do kinda, you watch it? Yeah. I kind of like the Do Santa you? Claus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think with uh, a little bit more eggnog, I probably could have got through it, but um, she just was sort of not having it, and so... <laughs> and the reason we even watched it is Disney has a whole Santa Claus. Oh, the Santa Clauses, yeah. So a whole series on this. Yeah, there's um, the whole Santa Claus franchise. Santa Claus one, two, the es- three, the Escape Clause. Is that the one with Martin Short? Is the fr- <laughs> Jack the, Frost? Jack Frost, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, this new show which I haven't seen, but yeah, I got I got to get you know the Santa Claus watched. I got to get Home Alone uh, queued up in here at some point. Say Black Christmas a little closer to New Year's Eve. Mm. All the usual staples, right? One more thing you just brought up, and then we'll get to it. Okay. Martin Short. Okay. Do you get it? Because I don't get it, man. 
It I de- don't get it. It depends on the role. It depends. Like him as Ed Grimley on SNL, I really like that. And he's and some of his films, like the comedies, worked for me. Uh, but yeah, it could be a little out there sometimes too. A little too too high energy for me. His talk show stuff when he does impersonations, I really like. Mm. But just Martin Short doing Martin Short, yeah, that's like the C team version of Robin Williams, man. He's yeah, that's, brutal. That's that, that's fair. <laughs> I, I I probably like him a little a little bit more. He was in a. Really interesting early '90s like kids movie called Clifford. Yeah, have you heard of Clifford? Oh, yeah. He's like an adult boy. Yep. Who falls in? It's like Charles Grodin's like wife's son. He's got to like hang out with him, and it's a disaster. It's one of those movies. Yes, I've seen that. <laughs> like Dutch. Did you ever see Dutch with mm-hmm. Ed O'Neill? Yeah. Dutch. That's a cask of just <laughs> trash. Guy that gets stuck with like the like worst kid right it's just like troublemaker just makes his life a living hell there's we could come up with a few more of those too adventures and babysitting oh good one yeah. excellent uh we're having some basil hayden subtle smoke uh this is a different uh basil i don't think we've tried we've tried toasted but i don't know if we've done subtle smoke i get the title i taste that really really there on the back end that smells like or that tastes very woody smoky Char. A little more scotchy to you? Ooh, I don't know if I get the peat, but I see where you're going with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. And they had a few other uh, labels, too. They have a, a red label that were the bourbons finished in uh, port casks. Mm. That one sounded interesting. And then they have a green label 10-year one, which that one's a little more pricey, but that one might be worth trying because this has been a you know pretty solid label. This is when anybody ever asks me, what should I start with? Mm. This is where I always send them. I just send them to basic straight... Basil. Once you've graduated from Jack, Knob Creek, and Makers, right? You're not just not mixing, mixing with Coke. Right? Yeah, if you want to try something neat for the first time. I think it's gentle enough, and I think the price point is one that won't scare you away for the the, the taste that you get, the notes. I think it's a really good introductory one because it start like, man, maybe if I like that $40 bottle and it was that good, maybe I'll try a $50, and then you're going to Bib and Tucker, and then yeah. you call them at Farms, and we move on down the road, and eventually you're... There you go. I think that one, I think even just Buffalo Trace, too. Mm-hmm. I think those may be together, and I think that one's 25. That's under 40. Yep. It's a pretty good, yeah, starter into, like, it's a little bit more complex than just mixing with some Coca-Cola. Exactly. <laughs> Brought up Knob Creek. That's one that I'd like to find a bottle of Knob Creek. Like, it's okay, but I've never been a huge <clears throat> Knob Creek fan. Um, I think we've talked about this on the show. Mm-hmm. That's one that if it's just neat, I'm really struggling. I probably would even go to Gentleman Ahead before I went to Knob Creek. There's a Knob Creek tenure <laughs> that I hear is supposed to be pretty good. There's got to be a good one out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a barrel selector or some sort of an age of that, but I'd be down to try that. If I'm going to go straight Knob Creek, neat, or Four Roses, and Four Roses are cheaper, mm. I'm probably going to go Four Roses. Okay. We've covered it all. Ed Grimley and Four Roses <laughs> and Knob Creek. Want to do World Hunger next? Maybe next week. Right. Uh, excellent, everybody. Let's get started with our flight question. Cool. I like this pool hall jazz music. Yes, yeah, I know you do. We got Buddy Rich. We sure do. <laughs> yeah. So you got both questions for us this week. Uh, kind of curious to see which one you do first, but this is going to be an interesting conversation. 
Yeah, this is a Piper Laurie inspired question from the role that she plays in this film. And the reason that I liked this question this week is you can make a case, I think, that she would fit into either of these categories. I'm pretty sure that for about the next 90 minutes, you and I are going to sing the praises on high of this film. So I think I want to start on the opposite end of that. So we'll go with the bitter and then through the savory and then finish up with part two of this two-parter. Okay. So part one of this is, I want you to tell me your top three least likable, worst, bad, unfavorable girlfriends, wives, lovers in film ever. Okay. And opposite. I had a lot of fun with this question because there was a lot of names that started coming into my mind. Yeah, yeah. And I think when we did The Godfather, we did a variation on this with like maybe more like wives and like, you know, you know, people you've had kids with and whatnot. So I kind of tried to stick with girlfriends and like before yeah. it gets to matrimony. That's actually what I did too. Okay, excellent. Oh, this is this is great. So coming in number three for me, yep. I have Robin Wright as mm-hmm. Jenny from Forrest Gump. Oh, God, such a good choice. Um, I don't even know what to say <laughs> about Forrest Gump. Maybe it's coming up on a future cask that could be a tease, but whatever. You know, their relationship's really interesting, and they grew up childhood friends, and then, you know, she grows up and moves away and gets into Playboy and just sees the world and kind of becomes a hippie and lives a very intense lifestyle. And just Forrest just loves her so much, right? And just he can't take the hint because he has a disability, right? A learning disability. Yeah. Uh, And she won't give it to him. So I think maybe that's where I'm dinging her a ton of points, right, is... If he's friend zone, he's friend zone. Let him know about it. That way he just like stops just like telling you he loves you all the time. Mm-hmm. And then she lays him for the first time, his first time he's ever been with somebody. And then she takes off on him for another five years. And then the next time he sees her, she has a kid and AIDS <laughs> or cancer. Yeah. I never remember what it is in that movie. I think it is AIDS. I, I just, I can't remember. There's something about it says cancer, but it, it could be, it might be nondescript disease. And we just are forced to pick between the two. Regardless, she sucks. Yeah, She's terrible. Mm -hmm. But I think maybe the most important character in that film. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure we'll do that someday. I'd love to get into that. It might be coming up sooner than later, actually. Yeah, and uh, you know, not to... Hint, hint, hint. Nothing about uh, the character. I think Robin Wright's really good in that movie. I think Mm -hmm. that's why the character works so much, right? Mm -hmm. So... Good choice. Thank you. My number three is going to be played by the actress you know as Grace Kelly. The character she plays is Amy Kane, and it's High Noon. Oh, my God, I hate her in this film. Why? And I could use the opposite as good girlfriends in the other part of this question, but I won't. That's Katie Gerardo. Mm-hmm. She is miserable. Her pure as the driven snow, puritanical, nonviolent, I'm leaving if you shoot anyone, I'm out of here as her husband is about to get gunned down in the middle of town and can't find any help. I don't know why he doesn't just bounce. She's terrible. What he sees in her is so interesting because there's that moment when she meets Katie Gerardo and you can tell that they look at each other and Grace Kelly realizes I'm never going to be that. And Katie Gerardo kind of goes, I'm glad I'm not that. And instead of recognizing maybe I'm not what he was with, because I don't add up. This is Amy Kane talking. She went, well, I'm more pure than she is. She's in white in this little this little town the whole time that's just covered with dust. She stays white. 
I hate her. She's, I'm not a Grace Kelly fan in a mm-hmm. lot of films, to be honest with you, yeah. but this is, and she's good at it. Yeah. She's good at it. She is detestable in this role. <laughs> Number three for me, Amy Kane in High Noon. I'd really like to talk about that movie one of these days. It was fun, wasn't it? Uh, I, I think it's pretty good. And, I do too. Uh, the whole real-time aspect of it and, you know, Gary Cooper, leading man status kind of at the end of his career, yeah. right? Yep. But you're right about this relationship and just kind of how it's just thrust in the middle of this, like, crazy countdown to, like, death, right? <laughs> Ernest Borgnine got it right. Gary Cooper did not. Yeah. He picked the right girl. Excellent. Oh, are you talking about the port, the, the wine barrels and the wild bunch? <laughs> no, like Ernest Borgnine was married to Katie Gerardo. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. They were a couple. I thought you were referring to another Western. <laughs> oh, I didn't. Oh, that, no. I know, I know what part you're talking about. The yeah. wild bunch. Yeah. I don't know if she's in that. Well, good for you, Ernest Borgnine. To him. Yeah. And Katie. Uh, speaking of Grace Kelly, uh, I just recently watched, this is kind of low in my little Hitchcock spectrometer. Dial M for murder. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I, there's a good idea there, but it's way too yep. this for me. Yep, and less of setting the stage and the scene and kind of let it, it somehow works better in rope, but like that single locale stage play. Oh, uh, and uh, Ray Milland, <sighs> I don't know if he should be in a Hitchcock film. Like that felt like a role that like Stuart Grant and Peck passed on. It was like, oh, I guess we're at Ray, right? Mm-hmm. No, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, but not high on mine either. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rope somehow manages the stage play single location that that one really struggles with. I feel, and they're, they're both really heavy talk because there's not much going on. I think because maybe there's an actual murder in that, and this one's like the will they, won't they, will he get caught for attempted murder in this one. Yeah. Lower stakes. Way lower stakes. Number two, Jesse. Excellent. Number two for me, we're going to comedy for this one, and I'm going Kristen Bell as Sarah Marshall. Ah, good one. I didn't think of that. Yeah. Love and, it. And forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, at the end of the... Film, we do. There are some redeeming traits. I mean, she did try some things, and it, he is a bit of a, a a doof, right? Yeah. In that regard, but oh, she's pretty unbearable, and mm-hmm. the fact that she's already left him and she's with Aldous Snow, which we learn what a dipshit he is, mm-hmm. um, it becomes even more detestable. And then you kind of gravitate a little bit towards the Mila Kunis character and yeah. that ghastly performance she puts on in the bed next. <laughs> On, on on the night when they go a double date, which is the best scene of the film. Yeah. Uh, just kind of says it all, right? Yeah. She tries too hard. She's on a fledgling, stupid reality show with William Baldwin. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> who's she, right? But the talk, oh, and the, the one of the dogs coming to, the talking dog. Or yeah. The, yeah, the talking dog. <laughs> My cell phone's going to kill me. Yeah. Um, You know, we've never done Sarah Marshall. Mm. Have we another good one to do? I'd be really curious. I've, I've never looked like what its score is. Rotten Tomatoes wise, I think that is a really tragically underrated film. I'm going to look it up. That's a solid, solid movie, Jesse. Um, and she's really good. I like Kristen Bell a lot. She's really good mm-hmm. in it. Good choice. Did you find it? I'm looking it up now. Good. Number two for me. Not a comedy. I would say a rot science fiction romance. That's Natasha McElhone as Rhea in Solaris. Mm-hmm. God, does she do a number on George Clooney in that film? Yeah. Starts off as this really charming, intelligent, beautiful. I think Natasha, Ma- Natasha McElhone is beautiful. I'll just lay that out there. And by the end of the film, she is. That poor guy so spun, he's ready to go space and die over her because she com- she commits suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, Solaris is also a troubling film. Uh, I know that a lot of people don't care for that movie. You know how I feel about it. As much as I don't like her, she is a huge part of why I think it works because she's so detestable. I want to shake George Clooney and say, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Get away from her. 
she's just so dour. Yeah. Uh, and God forbid anyone would lock down that woman because mm. that would be such a chore all day long. Rhea. Oof. Good choice. I know you like that one a lot. You think you like it more than it's foreign original, right? Yeah. Yeah. Russian science fiction films are mm-hmm. not real high on my list. Yeah. <laughs> Number ones? Number. Oh, did you find the numbers? Oh, yeah. 83%. Oh, so it is pretty widely received or highly received. I think it came out in the middle of summer, too, like or like right before like April, April mm-hmm. 08. So it was kind of sneaky. It came out and then like all like the like the big stuff, Iron Man came out and stuff. So it probably just got lost in the sea of all that. Yeah. Number one for me, we've done it on this podcast. Uh, she's, uh, I don't know, it looks can be enticing, but you might end up uh, being murdered with an ice pick. Catherine Tremell from Basic Instinct. You also might end up being the plot of her next murder novel too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, doesn't matter if it's the fuck of the century. Mm. It's not worth it, ladies and gentlemen. She, she's a psycho on high. So I kind of tried to lean into uh, schizophrenia a little bit with some of mine. Like, those are bad girlfriends. Yeah, <laughs> those are. Uh, you know, her uh, lesbian ex will try and also kill you and run you off the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you'll get involved in a crazy con- convoluted uh, plot that's fairly enjoyable. But, yeah, I got I to gotta pick her. Demi Moore and Disclosure was kind of floating around here too. Mm. That's but Basic Instinct's a better movie than that. So, well, you just brought up three that I didn't even consider. Okay. I didn't think of Catherine Trammell, yeah. Demi Moore and Disclosure, and then what about Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction? I thought about Alex Forrest, but that didn't feel more like a girlfriend scenario, more of just kind of like a weekend hook, bang, yeah, hook up and just uh, uh, the something that went bad, right? All right, love that. Well, I do have a girlfriend. Yeah, go. Hang on a second. Fatal Attraction. I watched that recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Two months ago? Yeah. That film's great. It is great. <laughs> it's like a really great psychological thriller. That'd be a fun one. That Indecent Proposal and what's the one? Um, oh, God. Uh, Cherry from um, The Outsiders. Why can't I never remember her name? Uh, Diane Lane? Diane Unfaithful? Lane. Uh, there you go. Thank you. That'd be a good cast, Jesse. The other one that I watched also recently was The Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Mm-hmm. Also pretty good. Annabella Sharoa. Yep. Isn't it right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca and De Mornay. Rebecca De Mornay. Yep. Good yep. one. What do you got for number one? Phyllis Dietrichson. Also done on this show. God, poor Walter Neff. Um, From the red gash in her face with that gaudy makeup to that terrible blonde wig that she wears. Boy, she spins this poor man into a mess. And like, it's pretty like low-hanging fruit to pick the femme fatale and a femme noir in this question but she's just so good at it. Mm-hmm. And one of the few times in that role that they actually cast a legitimate actress. Yeah. Not that Veronica Lake is not legitimate, yeah. but you know where I'm going with that. Man, and she delivers in spades. The plot after plot after plot that she has to just dig more gold and more gold and more gold with the power between her legs is truly the stuff that nightmares are made of, kid. And... That's such an enjoyable film. That's mm-hmm. really early on in the ride days. That might yeah. be the second cask that we did after East Rail 127 or yeah. whatever that one yeah. is, 187. Mm-hmm. Is it 127? 187 is that movie with Sam Jackson. <laughs> whatever that East Rail series was. But uh, 177? Something. Yeah. Phyllis Dietrichson, yeah. um, Barbara Stanwyck. Barbara Stanwyck had a lot of good roles. Um, Ball of Fire comes to mind for me also, but Phyllis Dietrichson is the best she's been for me ever. Includes Stella Dallas, which is what she won her Academy Award for. Mm. But, uh, yeah, man, you just, Walter Neff, if he could just get around, like, I don't have any pink champagne, but I got some bourbon. 
<laughs> and she doesn't even bat an eye. Yeah. You know, if you've got this gal coming in in a pink cashmere sweater and you use an ashtray, which is, you know, the newspaper yeah. and you don't have any champagne, but she'll just take bourbon. And I mean like JT Brown bourbon. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> Rot gut bourbon. Yeah. <clears throat> You're in trouble. The scene that gets makes her like the worst girlfriend is like once they're actually doing the deed, right? Killing the husband and she's just driving and then she just like doesn't even look back. It's just like this like wry smile tickles her face. Indeed. And she's just like, yeah, she's like she's getting off on it a little bit. <laughs> got him, got this other chump with me, and then I got Nico Zaretti or but yeah. to Freddie or whatever mm-hmm. that other guy's name is in tow. Who's her daughter's in-laws or stepdaughter's boyfriend? Yeah, too. yeah. Woo, men look out. Yeah. She's a trouble one. Yeah, she's she's a mess. Excellent. <laughs> Let's get not. this started with our uh, review breakdown of The Hustler. All right, you want some easy money, huh? All right, here's $105. That's one week's commissions. Uh, you want to take the whole thing? Then you get a crack at your easy money. I'll take a piece of that action. Me too. Uh, no, I want him. I'll take it out of the till. I'll meet you in the car. Tell me. And the hustle's on. It's on. All righty. So this film, The Hustler, begins with Fast Eddie Felsen, played by Paul Newman, a first on this podcast. Can't believe we haven't really talked about him, but maybe, you know, one of his other ones will float onto the onto the podcast one of these days. Uh, Road to Perdition is another one of his I, I really like mm-hmm. that kind of doesn't get a lot of talk, I think. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he rolls into this pool hall. This is kind of his gig, right? Him and we're going to find out his, his bookie guy, his guy just keeping all his money charlie burns yes just kind of going here and i I love the con and the acting that has to take place before you go about the hustle right it's kind of setting the stage and it's playing a couple games with them and it's almost like floor play to the hustle (laughs) yeah and you know play a couple games and you got to lose one maybe lose a couple and then you play and then when you up the stakes is when you decide to kick the skill up a notch right Mm -hmm. Yep. and they do it in this pretty greatly in this opening scene with this this trick shot i think this is a pretty great opening to our lead character here i do too and then when you come to realize like this whole facade that he's putting on of being drunk it's just an act uh it's going to make what is i think the real opening of this film coming up in a few minutes that's non-cut and it's exhausting to watch because you're watching this man destroy himself yeah yeah you kind of feel like he's pretty slick but a little too proud of how slick he is for his own good mm-hmm. um you know there's there's no shortage of great con movies you know paul newman even in the in the sting is is another example of that we mm-hmm. could go on and on we've talked about con movies before i think this is categorically put into that genre film it's a con movie but it really is more of a character study and i think what happens as fast eddie felson gets to be a better human being the con part of his game becomes less important at this point in the film this is a real shallow individual meeting Mm -hmm. He's got the looks. He's got the charming smile. Um, You know, watching this, it's not hard to see how Vince Vaughn sort of tailored his career and who he tailored it after. They were very, very similar to me and Mm. to Vince Vaughn on that regard. But they're really good at it in 
small town, little South Dakota pool hall dive bars mm-hmm. where you have to be okay with the take that might be 70 to $110 in an evening. And I think the question with that is, how do you ever get ahead? The good news is if you take a beating, not physically, but you take a beating financially, you probably can't lose more than three or 400 bucks in a night. Yeah. The bad news is eventually your rep takes you to a place where you run out of pool halls. Yeah. And then when the con's over, what's left? But at this point, it's a really entertaining way to be introduced into the relationship between these two guys. And then another thing that, that I want to talk about, and it's sort of similar to let the right one in for me. If you sidle yourself up to fast Eddie Felson, is it more of him in a pariah state or more of a partnership state? Because he's going to, I would argue, turn you into a pariah in order to get across the finish line. But he's so charming when he needs to be that I think he can talk you back off the ledge into what you think is a legitimate partnership. Here's my other question for you, though. Does he even really need Charlie? Does he need Charlie? Yeah, well, I kind of wonder what the roles of these, you know, bookie guys is what I'll call it because George E. Scott plays the other one a little, a little bit later. Like, Gordon, yeah. They're kind of like almost like the book guys for these guys. And I wonder if it's in, in charge of like kind of like staking out the joint and like seeing what it, what the environment's like. And there's kind of like a finder's fee involved with that. But Security. Yeah, a little bit of that. You know, maybe someone that knows money a little bit more. Yeah. Not quite a financial advisor, but something along those lines. He's kind of just looking out for him there. And maybe tries to reel him in a little bit because when he does get reckless, as he's about to here in just a little bit. Yeah. We can walk out of here with eighteen thousand or eleven thousand dollars. Like, it's been a good night. Yeah. What, what more do you want? So maybe to kind of keep them down to earth a little bit. I don't know. They might play a pretty important part in this film. Yeah. It's, <laughs> or it's, they can be uh, conniving bastards, like yeah. <laughs> the one where we're going to meet a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, though, in the film, I think we can recognize pretty easy that they are pretty good friends that are working really hard, even though it's a hustle, they're working really hard to create some life going forward for them. And I guess what we're supposed to gain from this initial meeting is the rules are as follows. Eddie's going to be the best pool player that he can be. And Charlie's going to be the one that has the bankroll to front him the money that he gambles with. And so when you get this opening and they walk in and Charlie is playing the role of chump, but yeah, it's like an acting. It like he's, yeah. yeah, it's like a call and response. Initially, the winner beating up this drunk guy who's taking his money because he can't make this ridiculous shot. I think he's pretty good at that because if you look at Charlie, he doesn't look slick like Bert's going to look later. He looks kind of like just the average farmer in that town. Yeah, and so this small time con that they two have have gathered or, or have built together. I don't want to say seems bulletproof because I don't even know if there's enough meat on the bone for them to even have to fire a bullet, but it does seem to be insulated enough that I guess it's working for the time being. But let me get, let's get to the big question here. If fast Eddie Felson's goal in this film is to be the best pool player that there is ever, is that in your opinion, a notable or worthy memorable achievement. I mean, it's a very shallow achievement, right? <laughs> to be the best. Yeah. And how do you qualify 
best? How do you define best? Yeah. He's going to put it all that definition on Minnesota fats, right? Like he's won the most, he's beaten the most players. I don't know what, what, what he's stacking him up against, but he just knows he's the best. And if he beats him, then he's attained that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he'll do whatever it takes to get, get there. doesn't matter how much money he burns or all the, Tragedy he's going to leave in his wake, right? right. Uh, it's, you know, that's that's the end goal. So I, I, I guess for the most part, I think that works pretty well for me for his goal, but it'll be his undoing. The other question is, who's going to care other than him? Because this yeah. is going to get to the, the, the picnic scene that we're going to get into with Piper Laurie. I know you have sound on that. Yeah. But in the world of pool, every, even if you, let me give this, if everyone knows... Even if you don't follow basketball, mm-hmm. everyone knows who Michael Jordan is. Everyone knows who LeBron is. And everyone probably knows who Kobe is. And you can rank them in your order. And we, I don't want to get into that stupid debate that's been had 50 times. Yeah. Truthfully, whoever's the best of those three, and you could put in Akeem Olajuwon or whoever the hell else you want. Like, it really doesn't matter. But at least I think the outside community from the basketball world is able to recognize and understand yeah. who that is may not be much significance to them, but at least they know who that is. In the world of pool, Minnesota Fats is just some guy. Yeah. <laughs> and Some guy in some stinky pool yeah. ball. <laughs> There's about 30 people in the whole world that even care. Yeah. So the lengths that you have to go to to beat this guy who's really good, Minnesota Fats, yeah. for to what avail? Because if it's for Fast Eddie to just know in his heart of hearts, like, I'm the best, then that's a very different conversation that he's going to have with Piper Laurie at the picnic scene yeah. later on in the film. Sarah is her name. So here's the, here's the question. With what he has to go through to possibly achieve this, is it worth it? And that's, that's something that I hope we can come to at least a daily conclusion on when we finish this today. Was it worth it? Because, mm-hmm. boy, he pays a steep price. Yeah. So off we go to Minnesota Fats, right? We've kind of we kind of go to his neck of the woods. His I don't I don't even really know where we're at in this film. It's yeah. never really told to us. Midwest does it feel like Chicago? Yeah, it does have a little bit of Chicago feel to it. But if they told me it was like New York or like Jersey, I'd believe you as well. Yeah. Uh, sticking out the joint, like that's when he says, "I'm going to walk out of here with eighteen thousand dollars tonight, and it's going to be a real big score." And then Fats comes in, and they that's when they, they set up the game, and they're ready to go, right? They little brief introduction. He's played by Jackie Gleason, who I know from The Honeymooners. Uh, I don't know too many other film roles I would I would have seen him in. The Toy with Richard Pryor. Oh, that's right, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. It's yeah. mostly The Honeymooners. Well, mostly that. So, yeah, he's really good in this thing, and he did all his own shooting, too. So every shot you see of him that's usually done in a wide, uh, you because they wanted to show him actually shoot and make, right? Um, but, yeah, they've agreed to. I don't, okay, so, I, Trent, you're going to have to help me figure out some of this. Uh, they're going to play straight pool, and I'll explain the rules of that here in a second. Uh, how many points are they playing? I know they're playing until Fat says, you beat me, right? right? It's just like submission. But I don't know what determines who how they're winning money. Like, they, they got to be going to a point total, right? Yes. Yeah. I think it's per game, X amount of money per winner of game. So if it's $50 a game and then they up the ante to $500 a game, whoever takes that game wins that, wins that kitty. Yeah. Um, 
I think sometimes they play them in sets and they play them in different, um, there's some nomenclature around the way that it's bracketed, if you will. But I, I believe that in this, it's just straight this money on game A, this money on game B, and that's just how it goes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to figure out, like, how, how are these winnings going? Yeah. <laughs> like, how are they determining, like, the winner? Because the way, cause the way it, it breaks down is straight pools, kind of confusing. So instead of playing solids and stripes and you just hit all yours and hit the eight ball last, like, that don't matter. It's not like nine ball where you got to hit in order and you got to do it no matter what. Like, it's it's different than that. So straight pool is just, like, whoever makes first uh, just keeps going and you go until you miss. And then there's a version uh, called 14.1 where you play all the way up until there's one remaining on the table. Then you re-rack, and you, that one's, like, factored into the shot, right? Uh, and you play that until, I guess, you hit submission here. Huh. So you can hit the eight ball whenever you uh, whenever you want. If it's the clean shot, go. So it doesn't have to be in order? No. Just got to be clean. I think the record, I looked up the record, too. It's, like, 736 continuous shots made without a miss. Doing that same rotation after you're out, you just re-rack and all that. That's the thing about it in pool, straight pool, is if you're the last, if you sink the last ball, you break on the next shot. Mm -hmm. So once you get the table, you can keep the table for a period of time until you miss. Yeah, Yeah. just run the table. Uh, That's why some of those safeties and some of those other things get into it. Well, that's what they start out here with, too, is... um, Fast Eddie uh, kind of tries to play a little bit of defense, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of hard to make on the break, right? Yeah. It's not guaranteed. I mean, you got to hit everything just right. So he tries to give him nothing, right? That way he'll break and he'll get a better shot. But Fats makes it. I mean, yeah. he just he keeps going for a while. I guess he misses at some point. Yeah. Yeah. The whole goal of this is not to walk out with $18,000 or $25,000. It's for Fast Eddie to beat Minnesota so bad that Minnesota says, you got me. Yeah. What we don't know at this point in the film, though, is Minnesota is not allowed to say that. The reason that he can't say it, he's been bankrolled by a guy that has refused him the right to submit. He can't submit until the guy that's bankrolling him says, that's enough, you're done for the night. And we go through what is a 23 and a half hour pool game? 25 hours. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, 25 hours of pool straight. It looks exhausting, and like the way it's kind of pieced and edited together, as a viewer, you're kind of exhausted yeah. watching them. Yeah. You're just wondering, I was like, God, I'd be like, gosh, when do I take my jacket off? When do I get a little more comfortable? I got to go take a piss break. You know, time for food. Get me an egg sandwich. And what's the, the bourbon he has? JT Brown. Yeah, so he's drinking just garbage. And I like how Fats orders like something a little more up, upper class on the rocks with some ice and he's just drinking it like neat, which, you know, I'd rather have a neat drink anyway, but uh, he's just drinking garbage. Well, there's this awesome moment. You figure they're probably 17, 15, 17 hours into it. And Eddie has just cleaned the floor with flat fats. Was he up like $18,000? It's when he talks about it. It hits you when he says, Oh, close those shades. The sun's getting in. You're like, it's daytime. It's daytime. (laughs) Eddie's taken fats or, Burt Gordon, who's bankrolling Fats for almost 20 Gs. And you get that great moment where Fats steps away from the pool table, goes over, puts on some baby powder, wets his face, adjusts his tie, fixes carnation, and Eddie's sitting in the chair, drooling in what's left of his bottle of JT Brown. And he's still not done? Yeah. Shit. Yeah, sound it looks like. 
can't see it, can you, Charlie? I mean, you've never been able to see it. I came after him. And I'm going to get him. I'm going with him all the way. The pool game is not over until Minnesota Fats says it's over. Is it over, Fats? I'm going to beat him, mister. I beat him all night, and I'm going to beat him all day. I'm the best you ever seen, Fats. I'm the best there is. Now, even if you beat me, I'm still the best. Stay with this kid. He's a loser. Whew. The cutting words of Burt Gordon. Yeah. George C. Scott. <laughs> Who's great in this. What a guy. <laughs> Mr. Patton himself, right? Yeah. That's the moniker yeah. that I don't think Eddie ever believed he was. Until he gets introduced to this notion right now. I don't think Eddie has ever considered himself to be a loser. Yeah. But what starts off as a pool game to beat the greatest of ever turns into this battle of identity or character value because Burt Gordon, who is bankrolling fat, says, look at this clown. He's going to self-destruct. He's a born loser. And frankly, he does. If you watch this film, and I hope that those of you who haven't seen it, you really do sit down and watch it. You will really enjoy it. What's really great in the sound in this part is you can tell he's still sober. So we're 17 hours in, right? And he has kicked Fats's ass and mm-hmm. he's still sober, but we're about to go into the second half of this <laughs> marathon and he's anything but sober at the end. Oh yeah. He's drinking the whole bottle already. What's sad is Charlie. Cause I think this $18,000 payday for Charlie in 1961. One. God, what a good year. What a good year for film. Yeah, It's a pretty good payday. For him, damn, yeah, it's a good, like, I think that might be enough for Charlie to do what he wants to do, which is go to, like, some desert or some, like, resort area where there's a beach and open up a pool hall on his own. Mm-hmm. 18 grand. Like, they have wiped Burt Gordon and fat Minnesota Fats out. Yeah. But the money is not the point. The money is secondary. It's he has to have the acknowledgement from Minnesota that he is the best. It's not coming tonight, Eddie. Yeah. And so then we begin the long, slow decline mm-hmm. to drunken oblivion and brokenness, don't and we? Just passes out, yeah. And so they, they you know, they got to drag him off the floor, and you know, Fats walks out, and he's like, he's like, yeah, we're, just, we're done, we're done playing yeah. for today. And what do they have left? Two hundred dollars. Yep. Yeah. So we cut from the wreckage to the aftermath. Him just laying in bed, waking up in the middle of the night, whenever, and he leaves. Charlie. He leaves Charlie his half, so 100, I guess, and off they go. So at least he's loyal, right? I mean, he didn't have to give him that. So the good part of Fast Eddie is going to man his words, going to pay you off, just how, how you said, but not know when to stop. He's addicted, right? He's addicted to the rush. He's addicted to a lot of things in this film. Mm. Yeah. Drinking one. Uh, gambling too, but man, his biggest addiction might be winning. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to be his undoing here, but you'll finally get introduced into the film now. Person, I'll let you set it up, but choose when we did the cask on or the, the, the flight on. He's got nowhere to go. He's left Charlie. He's just basically this vagabond living in a train station. And he spies this sort of crippled, broken, 
sad character at a booth named Sarah. It's Piper Laurie, who is so familiar, I think, with the bartender at the train station, which I don't know if that's a thing, but I guess they have bars at train stations. <laughs> Might as well drink if you're waiting for a train, I guess, yeah? I or bus station. No, they're having coffee. Well, they're having coffee, but that's also the bartender that serves her too. Yeah. This is, I guess, in the wee hours of the morning, or maybe it's the afternoon. I, it's sort of hard to tell because yeah. when he finished the game with Fats and then went home and slept for a while, and then le- like, what time did he get up and start the next part of his day? I think he finds someone in Sarah that is much like many of the people he's conned on his road trip of billiards or straight pool and easy mark. And he sets his sights on her and basically begins the hustle immediately. They sit down, they have a couple words. You can tell she's drunk. Uh, She's not real warm and friendly to him, but you can kind of tell that this is going somewhere because he's pretty good at what he does and she just seems sort of hapless. And we begin, I think, what starts off as a very, very one-sided relationship with Sarah trying to give herself value by pinning what's left of her dignity on this broken guy in hopes that she can love him enough back into a stronger state. Now, this is something... Is that, that like she's trying to fix him? Like For sure. Yeah. She's... That... that Classic female trap. Yeah. That guy's so broken, I can love him back to a fixed state. Ladies, that relationship advice on Rice Smile Films. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Yeah. You cannot. Mm-hmm. You can't. You can try. You'll make yourself miserable. It's never, he's still going to do drugs and he's still going to chase another girl. Yeah. Let it go. Move on. Find someone better. Mm-hmm. She, though, can't because she has sort of an interesting backstory, too. I believe it's polio that's left her in sort of the state that she okay. is. Yeah. Bad, bad relationship with her father. And but she wealthy. seems because she's got a sugar daddy. Yeah. Whew, loaded. So she's got a little bit of hustle in her too, doesn't she, Jesse? Mm-hmm. If you've got a sugar daddy, yeah. then that means you're paying for whatever life he's given you with your ass. Yeah. And for her to go down that road when she can barely, barely manage just normal mobility. Yeah, and she's drinking at 10. <laughs> yeah. Boy, we found ourselves a pair. Yeah. But- I think what Sarah offers Eddie is at the first glance, an easy mark that might have a place to stay. Yeah. And what really trips me out is that they go from coffee where he passes out because he's still hungover from the the, the night prior Mm -hmm. and then goes to the bar for more. Yep. (laughs) And she's over there in the corner and she's having one herself. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, these two are like destined to be together, but like the worst two people. Possible people that could be together, right? Loserville United. Yeah. Like, this is a bad combination. And so they, they try to hit it off a little bit more. And she this is where she talks about her leg and everything and her limp. And so it looks like they're about to go back to her place. They stop off at the liquor store first. Because no. we ain't had enough, right? You're too hungry. Yeah, and she, she tells him, no, you're too hungry. Was so was he just going to go in there and just ravish her, right? Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't going to be good. So, like, I don't know. Maybe she did sense, like, yeah, like, maybe something more with him. I need to back him down. Cause like he's, he's a whole lot of trouble. Right? Yeah. It's Paul Newman coming at you. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes back to the, the bus station or wherever that is and waits for her and meets her again. Right. Yes. And then that's when they go back in. So I guess he's sated his appetite on something. <clears throat> What's questionable at this point is, you know, if Sarah goes to those lengths with him and in this drunken state, when they go to her apartment door and she says, no, you're too hungry with yeah. that, really raspy, heavy, 
cigarette, sultry, piper, lowery voice. Yeah. Right. When the blood comes. Yeah. And he was weak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I liked it. Yeah. She gives him the, you know, you're too hungry bit. What is it that makes her return to that place? Because I think she returns to that place looking for him. Yeah. It's not like they just happened into each other again. She set her sights on this guy. So there's something, and, and maybe it is just as simple as, man, I really like that bad boy. And mm-hmm. so I'm just going to go. But, you know, and maybe it's his blue eyes. Maybe it's Paul Newman. Just it's Paul Newman. Yeah. Who, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but for her to, like I was saying, what, for her to spurn his early advances at her apartment door, and then, I don't know, 12, 16 hours later, mm-hmm. when he's not quite as hungry except them, we can talk about all the reasons why, but I guess what the statement the movie's going to make is these are two really, really, at this point, broken people. Yeah. Twisted? Crippled? Oh, yeah. Lipstick on a mirror? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they kind of entertain this for a little while, and, you know, after some time's passed. The courting process? Yeah, the courting process. And they live in just, it's her apartment's a shitbox. <laughs> it's yeah. just... A bed and a kitchen and a, ba- a toilet. She's going to college part time, but then she's also trying to like write some stuff, but she can't even like <laughs> type properly because she's drunk the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah, it's not a good situation. There's a, there's a lot of toxicity in this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Sid and Nancy are watching this movie, going like, "Man, those two are fucked up people." Yeah, I know Sid. They really are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so he decides, like, "Well, I need to go play pool. I need to practice or whatever." And Kind of don't know, because he he does want a shot. I think at this point now, at bats again. I mean, like this, but he's got to build up to that again. So let me go play these little small dives, and he doesn't have his guy there to scope out the joint, right? Nope. Because these people hate bull sharks, and uh, I'll play a little play a little clip here. But yeah, it doesn't end end, end very well for him. Why well, you're a pool shark, boy, mm. a real pool shark. So see. But you're better than he was. Much better. There's your money, boy. There's your money, boy. Shark! Wait a minute! Let's give this boy his money. Mm. We always pay what we lose, boy. We got no use for pool sharks around here. There goes his thumbs. Yeah. Break both of them. Well... You know, I'm not a, a pool shark, mm-hmm. not even a pool player, to be honest with you. But clearly, your thumbs are important. So now he's returning to Sarah with not even what you might argue a means to gain an income. He is helpless. And this is an interesting moment for Sarah. Mm-hmm. The minute Fast Eddie can't hustle anymore is the same moment that she puts the bottle of liquor away for a while. She sobers up and she takes on the unenviable task of mothering, loving, taking care of, caring for this bitter, angry, recovering drunk who can't even do what he wants to do the most, which is play pool. Mm -hmm. Jesse, if you have two broken flippers, 
you can't even wipe your own ass. And yeah. I'm stealing that from Blood Simple, but I mean, yeah. you are reduced to a state where whoever you're with has to have a tremendous amount of love in their heart for you because yeah. there is not a damn thing you can do for yourself. And some of the things you can't do for yourself, you want to do for yourself because they're disgusting. Catch yeah, drift? Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah, this is broken. Yeah, so maybe you could hold it up, but you got to be able to grip the cue. Overhand bridge is ruined, right? Yeah, you can't, you can't. You need to use the spotter for every shot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so his way of making income, which is pathetic to say the least, yes. is, is just kaput at this point. Yeah. And it's at this moment, and I knew, I knew this is the scene you talked about. I knew I got a clip for you because uh, we can kind of just talk about the trajectory of where this is taking us. Okay. Is he a winner? Well, he owns things. Is that what makes a winner? Mm. Well, what else does? Does it bother you what he said? Yeah. Yeah, it bothers me a lot. As you see twice, Sarah. Once it ends with Minnesota fats. And then again at Arthur's. They're in a cheap, crummy pool. Now, why'd I do it, Sarah? Why'd I do it? I could have beat that guy. I could have beat him cold. He never would have known. But I just had a show. Just had to show those creeps and those punks what the game is like when it's great, when it's really great. And like anything can be great. Anything can be great. I don't care if Brick Lane can be great if a guy knows. If he knows what he's doing and why and if he can make it come off. Like where I'm going, I mean, when I'm really going, I feel like a... Like a jockey must feel. He's sitting on his horse, he's got all that speed and that power underneath him. He's coming into the stretch, the pressure's on him, and he knows, just feels, when to let it go and how much. Because he's got everything working for him, timing, touch. It's a great feeling, boy, it's a... Real great feeling when you're right and you know you're right. It's like all of a sudden I got oil in my arm. Mm. Pool cue's part of me. You know, it's uh, pool cue, it's got nerves in it. It's a piece of wood, it's got nerves in it. You feel a roll of those balls, you don't have to look, you just know. You make shots that nobody's ever made before. And you play that game the way nobody's ever played it before. You're not a loser, Eddie. You're a winner. Some men never get to feel that way about anything. I love you, Eddie. Her delivery. Mm-hmm. Can I go for a minute? Yeah, go ahead. The issue at the forefront of this conversation is what Bert said. He's a born loser. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Eddie is trying to balance what it means to be this maestro with the pool cue that has so much passion and dedication and talent that the pool cue becomes an animate object that's part of his body. And he's trying, he's like, if the pool, the pool table is a canvas, then he's trying to paint this masterpiece of beauty. And I can respect that. Mm-hmm. The trouble, and you heard it, he lays out this, you know, it's metaphor after soliloquy over, you know, horse racing and nerves in your arms and oil in your, it's beautifully described. The problem is that is on the back end of him trying to reckon 
with a name that Bert Gordon called him. He's known Bert Gordon for all of 17 hours or yeah. 25 hours, but most of it wasn't in direct communication. It was from afar yeah. as he sat there in the bar and just watched Minnesota finally come back around and clean up, clean Eddie's clock after, you know, being his, his clock being cleaned. Mm-hmm. And as beautiful as all that is, so well written and so well delivered by, by uh, Mr. Paul Newman, Piper Laurie steals the scene mm-hmm. with the line she says and the one that you don't have that comes after that, which is, I love you. Mm-hmm. And then it it played the tail end. It just got quiet at the end. He comes back later and says, you know, sir, someday you're going to write an amazing book about me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden this fucking, you're going to go meet a college professor or something or something really smart. Yeah. This fucking hubris comes in about the book you're going to write is going to be about fast Eddie Felsen. And so like, here comes his ego now again. Mm -hmm. And she takes all that. And you guys remember, she just said, Eddie, you're a winner. Some people never get to talk about that. And she's kind of right, Jesse. Like, I think at this point in my life, I can say that I have, you know, a few things that I really, really love. But I don't know if I love, I mean, I love my family. But I don't know if I love anything that I do as much as he in this film professes to love pool. I love what we do. I love film. I I don't want to have oil in my, do you know what I mean? Like, and I love it. Yeah. So this man is talking about something on a level that is far beyond anything that I can even fathom. And she steals this scene because she delivers dead on something even more sincere, which is, I love you. And that dead, grovelly, flat voice of hers. And like I said, he goes in with his, you're going to write a book about me. And you like, know what? Yeah, she doesn't say it back, right? And she says it again. Yeah. And then he tells her, do you need the words? And she says, yes, I do. Yeah. I need them very much. And if you ever give them to me, I'll never let you take them back. And at this point, you look at Piper Laurie and you think, now I know why she wiped his ass when he had his, his thumbs broken. Mm-hmm. That's why she put him up. That's why she stopped drinking. That's why she's trying to make something legitimate out of this illegitimate loser that she's hooked her, her hopes and dreams to. And this guy is torturing her. This is when she should walk away. She should. Yeah. I think it's, and well, this is the second part of the night captain too, but I think in film for me, or the reason I, this is my favorite scene is this is the most sincere profession or announcement mm-hmm. of pure love I've ever seen on, on a screen. Like this guy is a fucker mm-hmm. and she's not even saying, Eddie, did you just hear what I said? Like, do you maybe want to put that away and give it a sh-? Like she, she, she's yeah. not even going to judge him. Yeah. She's just, I'm going to love this guy so hard that when I finally get him across the finish line of love, it's going to be all right. And when you give me those words, Eddie, I will know that I've done and painted something beautiful, yeah. which was us. And frankly, Jesse, that's so much more profound than his little pool game, in my opinion. I, look, I don't want these two to raise a family. That might be a disaster. <laughs> yeah. But she is so good in this. And the writing is so solid. And her mm-hmm. performance is so good. Because I actually really believe that this is the best chemistry in a one-sided relationship that's ever <laughs> been born on, on cinema. Yeah. And she's good. And she's good because it's sincere. It's, so sincere. It, it, it feels like it's coming from that place, right? She just listened to him yammer on for two and a half minutes about... Oil in his veins and jockeys and yeah, just writing a book. Stupid shit. And yeah, she's, she just yeah takes a chance. And then he goes, yeah, right into talking about himself again. She should really take the hint. And maybe that's the tragedy of the film is that she does and she's loyal until the very end. I think she's trying really hard to hope yeah. that she can give him the blueprint on how to really invest in something that matters. You know what? And here's the thing, Jesse, 
he could do both. Yeah. He's obviously a talented pool player. Yeah. And if he can just get a little bit less hubris and a little bit more legitimacy insofar as not being a con artist, but actually like yeah. doing pool professionally, yeah. playing pool professionally with a woman by his side, yeah. which then I think gets into what's so interesting about the color of money. Yeah. We'll talk about that maybe later. Maybe we won't mm-hmm. because that's Tom Cruise and Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio in that film because she truly loves him in that movie. Yeah. And he's a lot like Vest Eddie Felsen, the young Tom Cruise. Yeah. Vincent. He could do both. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he has no shortage of time on his hand in order to do both. Piper Laurie at this point, have you noticed as she's gotten more sober in the film, they've started changing the way she appears to us. She's a lot more attractive. Yeah. A lot more put together. Yeah. Yeah. A a great choice cinematically for Robert Ross and the director to show her in that way. Like we're watching this sounds so lame and I can't believe I'm about to say this. You all may want to just mute this. (laughs) We're watching this flower bloom, if you will. Yeah. And it's because she's finally found a purpose. And what could be better? Yeah. And this guy can't but, like, con her a little bit later because he wants to beat Minnesota Fats. <laughs> it's all he can he think He already about. beat him. Can I tell you a story? Yeah. I was watching this. Uh, I was, Kobe was on Instagram. Like, rest in peace, Kobe. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about training. <clears throat> And he said, you know, and he was at some, I don't know, some event where he was obviously the, the keynote or something. And he said, you know, my days used to go like this. I'd get up at nine, I'd train for two hours, I'd come home, I'd eat, I'd rest, I'd go and I'd work out again at like three, I'd come home, I'd eat, I'd rest. I'm sure some of this was spent with time with his family. Yeah. Go back at like sick, work out for another hour, two hours, come home, eat, rest, do it all over again the next day. And he's like, and by the time the day was done, I was putting in like six hours of training a day. And that was my life. Mm-hmm. And then he said, and then I realized one day that I was wasting so much time. And you and I are sitting here thinking like, we're wasting time. Yeah. He's like, if I was training at 9 a.m. in the morning, why didn't I get up at 4 and start training at 4 to then eat and rest and then add another session in there? And I thought, my God, if that's really the case, you can see why this man was so good at his craft. And he said, and that's why nobody could ever beat me. Now, that's debatable, but we, yeah. I get where he's coming from. Yeah. Because even the guys that said, I'm going to train all off season really, really hard and really, really long. Yeah. Were miles behind what I did in the off season or even during the season. Yeah. So what they tried to make up in the off season wasn't even keeping up with what I was doing during the regular season. And if you do that, then they're just never going to catch you. Yeah. Fast Eddie Felsen needs a little less and I respect that from Kobe like mm-hmm. that if that's truly how he went about his craft yeah. then you see why he is what he was mm-hmm. I don't know if pool takes that much time he could certainly put 8 hours a day into it I guess if you want mm-hmm. but he needs a little less Kobe and the training in there and a little more Sarah because I think what Sarah gives him is the legitimacy for what Kobe, or for the reasons why Kobe did what he did, Kobe genuinely did what he did because he was scared to death of getting beat. He hated to lose. Mm-hmm. He doesn't hate to lose. He he acts the way he does because he's afraid to win. Yeah, and so he's sabotaging himself, kind of on purpose. Yeah, we watched it in the opening scene. You watch this man sabotage himself because Bert saw it coming and he let him let him ride a trap and he took it. Home hook, line, and sinker. Sarah's the balance, Jesse. Sarah's not 
Charlie. Sarah's not, let's go make 200 bucks. Sarah's the one that says, hey, been a bad day. Why don't you come over here? Like, I just wiped your ass. Like, I really do care about you. That's the balance, I think. And if you want to play out kind of a Western theme here, it's the civilization element to his savage that I think he's sorely missing. That is everything about Minnesota fats and the adjustment of the carnation on the lapel of his jacket after he's had his ass kicked for 18 hours. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Yeah. Is he going to get there? The answer is yes, but it's a heavy, heavy price. Yeah. No, it's a really great scene. Newman's great in it. She's good in it. And I really like where this is, is just, just taking us thematically. I mean, her trying to domesticate him a little bit more from this very adolescent yeah. <laughs> fantasy, right? Well said. It's just like, you know, playing pool for a living. I mean, there's, there's so many pathetic things about what's going on with Fast Eddie Vels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> living out of a garage. Like, this is his job, ladies and gentlemen, is to go from pool hall to pool hall and scrap a buy with some few with a few bucks. Uh, yeah, like, how is, how is he... So I can see why he would want to be the best when he just has nothing, right? Sure. He's kind of a bum in his own right. Sure. So seeing what Fats represents and great, greatly done in that scene, yeah, I can see why he wants to beat him because then I can be that, right? Then I'm not this, like, poor schmuck guy. And, yeah, he just can't take the the hint with her. That's the tragedy of the of the film. Well, it almost it's just like he just can't see beyond pool. And it's kind of an asshole move when he does say, like, you're going to write a great book. You're going to meet a great guy. College professor, something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, gee, Eddie, like, what the what the hell's this? Like, what's, what's this all about then? If you're already, like, thinking of life beyond me. Eddie, I love you. Mm-hmm. You know, Sarah, someday you're going to be a great writer. Yeah. And you're going to write a book about me. Yeah. What, wait. Th- there's just three words I needed. Yeah. I love you. Yeah. And he goes into this weird... Write a book, date a college professor, shack up. What? What? Here's my question for you. Mm-hmm. I think when we did 500 Days of Summer, yeah, we had a pretty robust discussion about where Summer Finn fits in the tragedy of Tom Hansen. Yeah. And as much as that movie tries to paint her as a villain, I think you and I came to the conclusion that she's pretty forthright with him most of the film, with the exception of the engagement party that she writes invites him to. Yeah. She tells him the whole time, I don't want to, this is, just, this is not that kind of a thing, man. Yeah. Is Sarah Tom Hansen? Yes. She is, isn't she? Yeah. Because head over heels, like, instantly. And Eddie's, I mean, when you say, I love you, and he says, you're going to write a book about me, that's not the same thing as saying, <laughs> I saw in him what I could never see in you. Yeah. But it's close. Yeah. I don't know. Which, if if he's Tom Hansen, or if she's Tom Hansen, yeah. then is the argument whose movie it is? Do we start having that argument of whose movie this really is? It could be. I mean, this it's, is it just, isn't, this is still the Eddie Felsen vehicle. Uh, something to just sort of a corollary, corollary to, the, to that film. Play yeah, with a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, so you, George C. Scott comes back into this thing, and he's just they, they play poker one night, and then they, they share a drink together, but he's like... Look, you were better than Fats. He's like, look, I'll be willing to bankroll you at like what seventy percent commission, seventy five percent, seventy five twenty five. Yeah, it's a it's a con job on his part too. So and he's like, I ain't gonna take you up on that. I need I need three thousand to get to go even play Fats again. I need that much of a cushion to take him down. 
Um, so it's just like, hey, he kind of reject because he's already gotten away with his other guy, right? He just yeah. he wants him to get back on the road and hit up these places, and he's like, well, I'm going after Fats again. And he's like, you stupid idiots! Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, we can make money. So he just whatever happens to that guy, who knows? Like, yeah, small time Charlie's off, dead in a ditch somewhere. Yeah, uh, and yeah, we're off on adventures with George C. Scott, Paul Newman, and Piper Laurie. Uh, what about this scene too? This was interesting because he's going to leave. Well, I'm going to Kentucky. It's the Derby weekend. I'm going to go play. He's bankrolling me and I'm leaving tonight. <laughs> so I'm going right now. Sorry. After a super fancy dinner that he takes, Sarah. Sorry, to. I'm just telling you about this now. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a jerk move too. Well, she tells him, you're conning me, Eddie. Mm-hmm. Dress me up and doll me up and take me out so you can give me this terrible news. And then Sarah plays... The ace in her hand, doesn't she? Yeah. Which is, she talks herself into being brought on the trip, and you can see the Bert knows he's in trouble. Now, this gets a really interesting issue with Bert, mm-hmm. who is really the villain in this film. Yeah. Bert's big issue is not winning or losing, because he <coughs> seems to have a boundless supply of money. It really isn't the money. Bert's issue is control. And he wants to be the puppet master pulling on all the little strings of this cadre of of marionettes that he's gathered. And Eddie's his next new prize, Pinocchio. If Sarah's there, then there is that civilized element that is going to keep Bert from being able to get his clutches all the way around Eddie's neck and manipulate those strings the way he wants without any resistance. So we, in a sense, have a very weird love triangle. And Bert initially, like the sound with Bert and Sarah early on is somewhere between inappropriate innuendo and straight up derogatory insults. And it wavers back and forth. And I think what Bert is trying to do is he's got Eddie figured out as he was easy to figure out like right away. He's trying to figure out where Sarah lays. Can I scare her off? By insulting her so much that I break her. Well, we know Sarah now, and she's seen plenty of sides of the other side of the track, so that's not going to work. Yeah. So maybe it's the other way. Sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll talk about that too. Yeah. Because it's coming. What? It's coming. <laughs> so we get to Kentucky Derby weekend. There's just a bunch of people throwing money around, drinking heavy, gambling on everything which way. And up here comes a uh, Rice Smiles stalwart, Mr. Murray Hamilton, as Finley. Yes. <laughs> The billiards player. Yeah, so this is the guy that they brought him out to play. Go play this guy. He's got a lot of money. He's just throwing it around. He's probably a drunk. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're probably better than him, so let's go play him. Um, so they set up the, the date, right? They come to my house around a big party. Come hang out. Blah, da 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 So Fast Eddie doesn't even want Sarah to come. Why don't you go to bed early tonight or some shit? Walks her up into the coat room. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm going to... And then so she comes anyway and just drinks herself stupid. Well, there, there's one really... And I've never been able to find out, but that's... When they go up to the room? Or? Bert leans into Sarah yeah. at one point in this film and whispers something to her. And she has a visceral response. Smacks him. Yeah. And then immediately... She's been pretty sober for most of the film. She's had a few drinks here and there, I think, around, but she has not been the drunk Sarah that we met early on. Just starts down the hatch, down the hatch, down the hatch. I'd be able to tell you if my subtitles were working on my disc. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, we don't know. And maybe it's better that we don't know. Yeah. 
I'm assuming the way she's taken aback, it has something to do inappropriately physically. Yeah. How do you fuck a cripple or something along those lines or something? Because she's kind of, she has that limp. But whatever it is, it sets her off. Yeah. And you can see, like, Bert takes the smack and then what? It's like, he's a little bit pissed off and then he sees what her response is. And by the time Sarah finds Eddie again, he's taken her up in the coat room and laid her down in the bed to kind of put her out of her misery and just get her the hell out of there so he can go play pool. She tries really hard to save the day in the billiard room, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. You want to take it about? The, you want to take take that part? I'll play. I'll play. Yeah, I'll play. I'll play this here. So we came here to play pool. I don't play pool, Mister Belson. I play billiards. <laughs> my house, my game. You don't have to play if you don't want to. <laughs> we won't. Come on, Bert. Let me play. How much? Oh, we'll start small. Hundred dollars a game. You ever play billiards before? Sure. You hustling me? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure Mr. Felson knows what he's doing. Certainly you can afford a hundred dollars to find out. Deal of cards. <laughs> His little Kentucky voice is so good. No, yeah, so they start playing. So billiards, ladies and gentlemen, is different than uh, straight pool mm. and different than nine ball and all the other start, uh, stripes and solids. So I actually don't know the rules of this game, but it's Eddie's a little rusty. He kind of has to adapt to this new playing environment, kind of see, and he starts losing, like, and he's just like, well, I'm cutting you off, man. And this is about the time, you know, Sarah shows up too. And I love the way they're all framed because it kind of shows the dominance in the relationship, right? And yeah. it's like Bert towers over everything, him and uh, Finn, Finley. And you got kind of Eddie in the middle there, and then Sarah's just like on a knee, right? She's taking a knee. It's the totem pole of power in all these relationships. And then later when Eddie wins, I mean, we see like a reverse of all that, right? He starts kind of like rising above both of them. Yeah. Um, so how that was shot, I thought was, was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this is this, and this is the beginning. <laughs> this is it, right? This is it. It's the rejection. Sarah begs him. Okay. So, so Bert's ready to go. Mm-hmm. Eddie's lost enough money and Bert says, it's not happening tonight. You don't know this game. Sarah comes down and she tries to talk some sense into Eddie. And he just basically said, he wants to own you, Eddie. Don't give him you. Keep yourself to you. And then Sarah sort of dismissed in the way that they, they do in this film with her. And Eddie doesn't take her advice. And as Eddie is pleading for Bert to let him stay, that he's eventually going to turn this around. He's got the game figured out and he'll get him on the next one. It's not about the money that Bert's losing at that point. It's about him indulging Eddie's semi-addictive demand for more bankrolling to beat Findlay. Bert Gordon doesn't care about the money. He wants to indulge that so that he gets Eddie in the palm of his hands and wrestles him away from Sarah. And it works, Jesse. We cut to a little bit later. And we see Finley writing Fast Eddie a check because he's cleaned his clock. Mm-hmm. He doesn't quite look as haggard as he does at the end of the Minnesota Fats game, but it's close. He's had himself a night, and they've won. And then we get the return to the hotel, yeah. which Bert has so graciously put them both up. Yeah. Bert gets home before Eddie. I think Eddie wants to walk in. Yeah, Bert walks. takes a taxi. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Burke gets home, and who's waiting? Sarah. Mm-hmm. Sarah has one play, sadly, 
And that's what can she do to wrestle Eddie back away from Bert? How can she free Eddie? Mm -hmm. So this very, very strange seduction scene that happens. Um, Bert beds Sarah. And shot in this really great way where she walks in the bathroom with the lipstick, right? Uh, twisted, crippled, depraved, I believe, on the mirror. Yeah. I- interesting choice of three because the question is, who is she calling each one of those things? Yeah. And then proceeds to slit her wrists mm-hmm. and do herself in. I think heroin, too. I think there's some needles and some stuff on there. Yeah, I think. Something. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely a razor blade and some blood leaking down the side of the sink, but God only knows what else. Like she's just did a number on herself. Um, must have been a hell of a walk back to the hotel. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Enough to do all that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Eddie comes and he's distraught, angry, you know, grabs Bert up, pushes him up against the wall. Um, yeah, real manipulative on, on Bert's part. But it's, like you said, the puppet marionette, you know, guy controlling everything. He just has, can stick his claws in whatever he wants and manipulate it the way he wants to get what he wants. Uh, yeah, tragic. She's left in the wake of all this adolescent bullshit. <laughs> the gravity of Sarah's I love you is truly expressed in this scene because she's mm-hmm. just sacrificed herself yeah. in hopes that it will snap Eddie out of it. Yeah. This guy that you have made this partnership with, <clears throat> Eddie, he's bad. Mm-hmm. He's going to take you down. He just wants to own you. So she tries... In one of the few languages that the two of them have shared intimacy to open Eddie's eyes. Like, I'm going to give this to Bert so that you will see how broken this man is. Because if he truly wanted you to be his partner, he wouldn't do this to me. Now, she plays a part in that, but... Bert kind of sets some money on the counter and it kind of like kind of whores her out in this strange weird, like the yeah. seduction scene is, but I think what Sarah realizes is when he puts the money down, essentially propositioning me, he's trying to own me as well. This concubine is whore. <laughs> I don't know what. Yeah. Does herself in. And what's kind of a hell Mary that that's really going to wake Eddie up. And the question then is, and this is why I said the Piper Laurie, Sarah character in this film could be either the good girlfriend or the bad girlfriend. In your opinion, I'll, I'll let you go first and I'll tell you mine. Is this a good girlfriend move or is this a bad girlfriend move? I mean, it's good in that it gets him to snap, right? Uh, bad that in it's fairly extreme. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that the, it got to this point, I think, is the real sad and tragic part of the film. Uh, but I got to tell you for 1961 for them to do this, I think is fairly progressive, pretty edgy, (laughs) pretty edgy for, for the year and the time, but I'm glad that they stuck to their guns. And then again, they kind of, it's not a great happy ending as we're going to kind of get into, but yeah, it's desperate from her. Yeah. It's desperate. It's a last ditch plea. Right. And I mean, if, if Eddie can't even decode, I love you, what's a proper response, even if you don't, when someone says that. She is wishing on a star that this semi-seduction leading to a suicide in order to wake Eddie up. Man, that's a stretch, dude. Like, I haven't quite figured out algebra, but here, try this trig. Uh, I, I mean, he gets there, sort of. <laughs> 
but I kind of think it's a bad girlfriend move. Yeah. Because it is so unlikely to get the desired outcome that she wants. It's 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 benevolent. Yeah. It's clearly sacrificial. And I mean that in a positive way, even though she does herself in that's suicide is not a good thing. That's, yeah. I believe that's a selfish act, but in hopes that this is gonna snap Eddie out of it. What if it doesn't, Jesse? I know. What a total fucking waste. Yeah. And I'm gonna say what a total waste of her. Because by this point in the film, we'll say she's a stellar Grace Kelly, you know pure as the driven snow woman to take home for the holidays and meet the family. Yeah. But I think she's kind of a keeper now. Yeah. Yeah. She's improved quite a bit. Damn it. Yeah. So he's That's what yeah. I love about it though. I love that like yeah, this pool movie has devolved into this backwards seduction. Yeah. This twisted romance bordering on yeah. rape. Yeah. That is the final conduit or hope that will get Eddie to a state of maturation. Yeah. What the f- Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Yeah. Rough, good, but, but good to, but, to but, Robert Rawson because that is that's some good stuff. Well, did you know about? I read about him too that he kind of thought that this he just gravitated to the story to make the read the book and to make it that it was like kind of semi autobiographical because he was a member of the Communist Party and so during that Un American Activities Act he named names so he kind of felt that like he kind of sold his soul. For his own benefit, right? Kind of like Fast Eddie does. So really, yeah. So kind of in like in a, a vein of Kazan or whatever, yeah. whatever with that. But like he was, yeah, yeah, a member of the Communist Party and named names. So wow, yeah, crazy, crazy. But no, I think it's it's very well made. It's very well written, and yeah, I think that's the great parts about it is that it's the sports movie and we're playing pool and. Half of the audience that's watching this film probably can't even comprehend what the rules of this game are. Billiards or uh, straight pool. Um, but it has this, yeah, this very interesting relationship and just kind of thrust in the middle of it that like really propels it to be something a little more than just a pool movie, right? Uh, but we're back to fats, right? We got our 3,000 from Murray Hamilton. We're going to go rematch him and... He's even better this time. He just cleans his clock. I mean, I don't even think we see Minnesota Fats shoot once in this game. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, there's no drinking. He just shows up in the better reborn version of Fast Eddie. And they have that great discussion where Eddie sort of bears all his sins and Fats doesn't want to have it at first. And then by the end, he's telling Bert, I don't want to grow up and be you, Fast Eddie. Like, after I beat you, I think I might be done. Mm -hmm. And by the time it's done, he has freed himself from Bert. But Bert said, you'll never play another round of pool as far as I know know, the rest of your life. Yeah, your rep's ruined. But I guess in a roundabout way, in a vertigo sort of way, which was I'm going to get over my vertigo by the time this film is over, (laughs) I'm going to accomplish my goal that I set out for, which is beat Minnesota Fats. Now, the question is, we asked this earlier, was it worth it? And does anyone care? No, my answer to that is no, it wasn't worth it. But that's what makes the movie so great is you watch this rather tragic ending with kind of a pink ribbon on it. At least nice paper, maybe not a pink ribbon, but at least nice shiny wrapping paper. At least it's dulled up a little bit. It is lipstick on a pig. 
No, I think this is a great ending. And like I said, it's kind of a happy ending in that he gets what he wants, right? He wanted to beat Fats, and then he beats him in this very competitive state. But at what cost? And was it worth it? And I think the answer at the end of the day, if that picnic scene was, man, I want to win. That way I can have this, 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 and that, and be at the top of my game and be the top billiards player in the country. I don't think he cares about that anymore at the end of the film. I think... For the first time, or maybe a few times. The second time was given Burns uh, the 100, right? <coughs> yeah. Saying I loved her, and it's a shame what, that, it, that that happened, like that, that she was kind of caught in the wake of this thing. And I think he walks off more defeated than champion, right? Yeah. yeah he it, does admit to Bert, yeah. like, we did a number on her, Bert. I loved her, and we did a number on her. We killed her. And then Bert said, ah, she would have done herself in anyway. But this is a big moment for us, Eddie, going forward. Yeah. 60-40. 50-50, not 50-50. You know, he, like, Bert's doing whatever he can now to hang on to his prize-winning pig who's about to leave the stable. But again, I, mean, I guess it's, yay, Eddie, I'm, I'm glad you got what you won and you, you got to beat Fats and you're free from this terrible, terrible mentor in Bert Gordon. But, man, that was a really expensive journey to get there. And I just, like everybody you're left feeling terrible for Sarah. Now, she made that decision. Bert didn't do her in. She, of her own free will, threw that Hail Mary pass in hopes that Eddie would catch it in the end zone and realize, doggone, you know, I've really made a mistake here. But man, that might have been <laughs> the most expensive Hail Mary anyone's ever thrown. It's just really, really tragic. Yeah. But if I'm being honest with you, mm -hmm. that's why I love it. Yeah, it works as an ending. And that in this period that you and I love, you know, this is a little, a, little before. a little before, but you can see it's playing in that space. There's no apologies. This is not a tentpole film. This isn't for everybody. It's not, we all ride off into the sunset happy. Like This is a gritty, rough, yeah. honest movie that's actually very entertaining. Even the pool parts are pretty entertaining. Yeah. That doesn't apologize about leaving you with this story that isn't the most fulfilling that you've ever heard. But were you entertained? Yeah, mm -hmm. you were. Yeah. Because it is a tragedy. You're right. It's a tragedy. Yeah. It's, it's Like I said, that's what I said at the beginning of the podcast. It's kind of a downer of a film that we're talking about today, just in the way that it ends up. I mean, we end up lower <laughs> at the end than we were at the beginning. If anything, we were in better shape, right? Uh yeah, so this film comes out. Um, it's a fairly it's a fairly decent hit, uh, but uh, let me pull up the. I believe it was nominated for nine Academy Awards and won zero, <laughs> won nothing, zero. Yeah, two supporting actors, an actress or supporting actress, actor, director, screenplay, and then cinematography, and something else. Nada. <laughs> Nada. Nothing at all. Right. Crazy. Crazy town, yeah. Um, but it comes out, it's a fairly decent hit, enough to inspire a sequel that I think would be worth talking about one of these days. Yeah. We've never done a Scorsese kind of venture into anything. Maybe that's also a tease coming up as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that would be pretty great to, to kind of get into all of that. Mm -hmm. The future of Fast Eddie. But what's your favorite tasting note of The Hustler? Well, I mean, I've talked ad nauseum about that that picnic scene, so it'd be you got sacrilegious it, it, not to. And we I'm, we've I've spoken about that scene in, in various many episodes for four yeah. years. Yeah, 
That's one of my all-time favorite scenes in all the film. Talking about Halloween three season of the witch, and you bring up the picnic scene. Yeah. So I mean, I, it's got to be. You got to pick me. that one. It has to be. I think I'm going to pick the opening scene. I mm-hmm. think it's just it sets the stage perfectly for the film you're going to watch. And I love the jazz score. And there's a great moment in the credits too when Piper Laurie's name comes up in the title. She's just sitting on a bed, back to the camera, like. What the hell's that? I mean, she doesn't even fit in this movie, like much less the the character arcs and everything. Ouch! I thought that was bizarre. And that when that nightgown, yeah, that just, just sitting there in the dark. <laughs> yeah, what? Very bizarre. Uh, I got to pick that one. What's the? Oh my god! You need to have some more subtle smoke to wash your taste of that particular scene. When the cops come in or when Eddie comes into the room and her blood is on the kitchen or is on the, the bathroom sink and you know she's killed herself. There's no way the first time that that happened, I thought she I mean, she goes in there and I get that she's writing those words on the mirror and lipstick, which is not usually a sign of, of solid mental health. Yeah. I always think of Wild at Heart. Yeah. But I had no idea that was what was going to be what followed that. A lot of sound mentally people in Wild at Heart. Yeah, boy. Yeah. Take your pick there, huh? <laughs> So it's that for me. What's yours? I think you got to pick that first pool game between him and Fats. The fact that it goes 25 hours. Like, I couldn't I couldn't stay awake that long playing pool and drinking and just not stopping. Like, you're, this would all be just raw from overuse. Yeah. You would have claws. <laughs> Forget broken thumbs. you got claws for hands now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the first time I saw that, and I'm like, oh, my God, the, the sun's out. <laughs> like, Jesus Go get an egg sandwich and call it a day, man. I mean, walk away with your wings. It's when they when you go gamble, they tell you, I mean, walk out ahead. Like, don't try and put it back in the machine or at the tables because you'll just lose it all. Yeah. If you have profit, great. If it's 20 bucks, awesome. Walk away. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so lessons to be learned. Who's the master distiller on The Hustler? Uh, Newman. Um, I think he gets a lot of praise for HUD and he gets a lot of praise for Cool Hand Luke. Deserved. I think this is his best performance, Jesse. Uh, it's tough to play sports if you're not driven to a sports background as an actor. And as much as Jackie Gleason is doing a lot of his shots in this film that we see, Paul Newman's doing some of his own too. You have to go through some serious training for that. Yeah, you can't just fake that. Can't yeah. fake it or yeah. you, it looks hokey. And despite that, you know, the time he put in to be a good pool player, I just think he's a really schmarmy charmer in this and he's excellent at it it's mm-hmm. for me it's Newman. me too it's a great performance i like how subtle it is at times and then how kind of angry he gets he's a good looking man too uh there's yeah. a scene where he takes his shirt off and it's like at that apex of like male physique where Man, everyone doesn't have to look like Robert Mitchum with their, like, pants up to their nipples. Like, you can actually have a really toned body. Yeah. It wasn't, like, flab, like, 50s flab. Yeah. because No dad bod there. He looks great. And, yeah, great performance. And just the charisma oozing off of this guy. I mean, like, it's just, it's un- that's an unteachable, actable quality. Yep. I was getting kind of a weird Miles Teller vibe off of Newman watching this thing. And maybe it was because there's whiplash in this film share a lot of similarities in terms of obsession and wanting to be the best, right? I could see that. Uh, I want to be the next Buddy Rich. Okay, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. And I want to find the very best. So I think they share, but like when I would look at Newman, I'd be like, I'm seeing Teller in like his like face right there or something mm. like that. It's good. How are you going to write and grade 
the Hustler. We have Rock Gut, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Top Shelf for me. This is Pappy. I mean, this is, I don't, I don't, I haven't done my top 10 of all time in some, some months. You should. This is yeah. one of them. And probably the top half of the top, like top five. I love this film. I never get sick of it. Uh, there's not a bad moment in it. All of the characters are very interesting and well acted. There's lots of good and bad, and there's even good and bad in the good and bad. It's complexity. It's simple. You can watch it on many different levels. It's a think piece. Oh, it's perfect cinema. It's perfect, perfect cinema. Excellent. I'm going to go single barrel on this one. This is a really great film. I love that we're finally getting to talk about Paul Newman, Piper Laurie again. She's mentioned, been on this podcast a few times. Um, but this is just such a well-made film. I love the black and white. I mean, mm-hmm. if this was in color, I don't think it's the same. I think it would lack that grit and that edge that the yeah. characters and the story just like kind of brings to life. It feels like such a dirty movie. And so black and white's perfect for mm-hmm. that. Yep. Uh, George C. Scott's really good in this thing. And that crazy bastard, he turned down his Oscar that he won for Patton. And then he was nominated for this film and he declined the nomination. <laughs> like he's, he's like a weirdo, I, man. He's like, I told you I was going to do it. Like he, he famously came out against, he's like, this is, this is like a circus of freaks. <laughs> like, he had like a lot of bad things to say just about awards in general and whatever. Yep. Uh, but he's really good in the film. Murray Hamilton in his tiny little bits really good in this thing. Jackie Gleason's really good in this thing. It's going to make you feel so stupid because you're not going to know how pool operates unless you take the time to look it up and research and whatnot. Yeah. But all that in a blender together. This is yeah. This is a really great film. And Do you know Jake Lamotta's in this film. He's one of the bartenders in, in the background. Film. Oh mm-hmm. wow, yep. interesting. <clears throat> It's a good cameo. Yeah. Highly entertaining. It's really well put together. And this double build with Color of Money, I mean, that's a pretty good afternoon right there. So, I agree. Uh, yeah, to that, to that, I knew, yeah, I was kind of set you up for this one because I knew you've been talking about it. I mean, again, the picnic scene. Like, I'm, I'm not joking when I say, like, probably hiding in uh, the Paranormal Activity episode, there's probably a discussion of the Oh yeah, there's. I probably it's come up at least twenty times. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's floating around these episodes. Some, so I'm glad. I'm glad we finally got to do it. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Isn't this the intro to our podcast? Nice, huh? I could play that on the sax. <laughs> Just kidding. Let's hear it. <laughs> I'm feel, sure you could. That feels like the Terrence Fletcher like jazz thing he's doing in the little bar, right? Yes, so yeah. oh, anyway, uh, we'll go. Keep, we'll book you a gig at the Blue Note next week. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Flip side of the flight is our nightcap, and it's the flip side of the question. If we did bad girlfriends to start, then I'm coming up with good girlfriends to finish. Three, three, two, two, one, one. Yeah, why don't you go first for this one? Number three, from Tombstone, Mm. Doc Holliday's Kate. Look, she's a race car, but she knows he's going to die. So what better way to send your man out with lots of liquor and lots of loving? Yeah. I respect that. You're not talking about the girl he goes to Tombstone with who's all high on opioids. No, (laughs) no, no. I mean, good old 
good old Doc Holliday, Val Kilmer's race car Kate, and she yeah. is oh, I'm fast about, around the curve. I'm talking about Kurt Russell's. Uh, oh, no, I my, I my bad, my bad. My no, bad. I know. Yeah, no. Yeah. No. Kate. Yeah. Excellent girlfriend. If I have six months to go, that'd be a good way to go. That sounds good, Ringo. <laughs> Why, Johnny I just, Ringo, you just like someone walked across your grave. I watched that movie last week. So good, huh? Maybe the most rewatchable Western. Like, there, there's a lot of Westerns that I can watch, but, like, that one just, like, entertainment-wise, it's just, it's got everything. Agreed. And that cast is just so good. Yeah. Great choice. My number three, uh, coming right from the 80s. Man, I mean, she's just down with the game. She's down to hang out and just, she's just a really cool girl all around. I'm talking about Sloan from Ferris Bueller's Mm, Day Off. Good one. Yeah. Excellent choice. She's good enough with the con to get broken out of school that that her dad's breaking her out even though it's her boyfriend. But then is willing to go spend the day with her boyfriend and his best friend and just make the best day of it, right? Yeah. Uh, she's really cool all around and has really good ideas and just helps propel the adventure forward. And she's in and making prank phone calls with all of them. Like, she's just in it with them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you want someone that doesn't feel weird for... Dude, Cameron Fry's a weird guy. And you, Ferris, you're kind of a weirdo, too. But you got, like, some sort of weird popularity cred, and she's, like, down with it. So yeah. you got a good one there. And she even says at the end, I'm going to marry that guy. So, like, yeah, she's oh. she, she's awesome. Good choice. Number two, Mrs. Faye Dunaway as Bonnie Parker. She's great. Who in the world would want a champion and impotent, barely literate bank robber and do it with the steely nerve and love that she has? She's excellent. Uh, Maybe I like Western girlfriends because I believe Bonnie and Clyde is sort of a modern Western, so that's Kate now and Bonnie Parker. Yeah. But, uh, yes, she comes in at number two for me, and it's a great performance by Faye Dunaway, Arthur Penn, and... Warren Beatty and Gene Hackman, and that's such a good movie. Yeah. Have we done Bonnie and Clyde on this show? No. It's got to be we, one we, someday, too. We should do it. Faye Dunaway. Bonnie Parker. Awesome, awesome. My number two, Rachel from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. So the flip side of that, if my Kristen Bell was number two, my Mila Kunis from this film will be my number two on the good side. She's just awesome. Out for adventure, always wants to have a good time, but like a good time in like a, like just like a really fun and adventurous way, and you kind of want that from a partner. Uh, she's funny. She like, even when he sees that he's uncomfortable having dinner with his ex and her new boyfriend, she tries to make it better for them. <laughs> Gives him great sex to compete with the mediocre sex taking place in the next room. Yeah. And she goes to a stupid Dracula puppet musical. Like, yeah. Yeah. What, what, what more could you want? I mean, she's, she's just awesome. And he almost screws that up royally in that film. Good. Rachel's excellent. Mm-hmm. Number one. Okay. Elaine Robinson. You want to talk about loyalty? She has it in spades. The question is, when they get married... Ben's a bad boyfriend. (laughs) Terrible boyfriend. (laughs) But people make mistakes. And some of successful relationships depend on working through each other's mistakes and Mm -hmm. being gracious enough to offer them the grace to forgive. Yeah. When they drive away on the bus and he's rescued her from matrimony into another affair, essentially... But as a couple, the look that she has on her face, like what's next, is the most honest yeah. look. And frankly, it's what we all feel. Like, yeah. what now? We'll figure it out. But she doesn't stop the bus. Yeah. She doesn't find a new seat. She said, this is the bus. This is who I chose to ride with. And we're going to take this baby to the end of the line. And somehow in that, she managed to forgive him for sleeping with his mother and destroying her mother's marriage. Yeah. Now, 
that's a little bit weird. <laughs> but Catherine Ross as Elaine Robinson is my number one girlfriend ever. She's really good. Thanks. My number one. There could be only one. I knew the, only the, one. the second you posed the question and I knew even I, I did research the number one never changed. Yeah. And it's Allie Elizabeth Chu from the Karate Kid. Wow. Yeah. When you watch the Karate Kid, there I mean, Elizabeth Chu's great too, right? Yeah. Go listen to our Hollow Man episode. Yeah. <laughs> How ridiculous that thing is. Yeah. But besides that. The way she takes a shine to Daniel LaRusso in that first film, who doesn't come from money, she's a very well-to-do girl, who, again, is just in it and doesn't care how ridiculous and poor you are. Mm -hmm. She'll help you jumpstart your mom's car on your first date, as embarrassing as that sounds. Yeah. And she's fine with it. She's willing to push aside douchebag Johnny Lawrence mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. And he almost screws that shit up too. He does, right. And then he does, right? I mean, part two, there's some throwaway line that they broke up and whatever. But man, she's there at the All Valley with him. She's in the corner. She's pretending to be Miyagi's trans translator at the tournament. Yeah. She's awesome. She's doing everything. She's in your corner. She doesn't do a bad thing to you in that film other than... Uh, reject the advances of Johnny Lawrence before you dump spaghetti all over yourself. Well said. That's a good choice. And I love that they brought her back for that episode. I'm yeah, glad that I it wasn't too. like this, like ongoing, like, oh shit, like this now. Like it was enough of a thing of like adolescent love. This was great. And now we can move on from it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So good choice. She's always been awesome. That's six pretty awesome girlfriends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, excellent. And six pretty terrible ones, too. Yeah. That was, they were pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the capper on this one. And as we, uh, roll out to finish 2022, uh, we'll lean into one of my favorites and, you know, I'd like to kind of keep it festive, keep it in the holiday season. And there's a film I know we've talked about a couple times, but if there was ever an obsession with me growing up, it was with this one film and I can't wait to talk about it. I already mentioned it once on this podcast before. Matt, let's do Home Alone to wrap out 2022. Oh, yeah, let's do it. The original from the, the first one, not Lost in New York and not Home Sweet Home bullshit. That was horrible, by the way. I'll talk about that next week. But the highest grossing comedy of all time, mm. Home Alone from 1990. Chris yeah. Columbus, John Hughes. I can't wait to talk about it. I think it'll be a fun way to wrap up the year. Maybe we'll have a special guest for this one, yeah. but this will be a lot of fun and uh, a lot of stories of our youth. I think we'll talk about with this one. I tried to home alone my house a couple times. Did you? I did. Yeah. And it was pretty stupid. <laughs> a lot of engineering goes into that. You filthy animal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How fun. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait to hear that. I can't wait to talk about it and how just every movie from the video store wasn't good enough because it wasn't home alone. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So we'll get into all of that, and it'll be a good discussion, wrap out the year right, and then we'll set up that next cast. The next cast, everybody, is what we've been teasing, and it's just really monstrous. There's a lot of planning going involved into this one. It's going to be a longer cast than we've ever done before, but it's going to kind of get us through the dry film season, and it's going to be really interesting. Uh, so, yeah, we'll do, we'll, do, we'll do that one here. I think there's so many interesting things to talk about this because we are going to... I think it's sort of rooted in a little hot takedness, yeah. just even with the three choices that we make. Mm -hmm. Well, the three potential, there's, I don't get to, you'll see what we mean when we get there, but there's going to be a lot of stuff that's left on the table. We could probably do this particular cast again. It's 10 times again. Yeah. So even the selection, I think, is noteworthy. 
Well, to that, we to got, that, we got that coming up. So, cheers to you all. Cheers. cheers. To you all. I got to get going. I'm gonna go play a game of bowling because bowling just seems a whole <laughs> lot less drama filled than billiards, man. Yeah, except that seven ten splits a real bear. But if you got fast Eddie like skills, I'm sure you can kick that seven ten off the that seven pin off the back wall and get it to hit that ten pin. Just put the bumpers up for me. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Even better. Excellent. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. The Hustler is property of 20th Century Fox and Rossin Enterprises, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Batman, you shoot a great game of pool. So do you, Fast Eddie.